Hello, this is the Blast Report podcast on all things blasting. My name is Evan Tebow with New Wave Consulting, and I want to thank all the Drill and Blast teams along with those supporting them who are out there on the pattern. The production team at Blast Think and I would like to welcome you to today's episode of the Blast Report podcast. So you got 49 years of industry experience here in the explosives and mining industry, Paul, but we were recently just talking about a time when you were down in Louisiana in the salt mines and you got to visit uh, Cargill, which was, well, it was owned by Cargill when you went and it was owned by Cargill when I worked there, but this is the salt mine that's under Avery Island that the, all the Tabasco sauce in the world comes off of Avery Island. Correct. And there is a, uh, you know, and it, it's called an Island, but it's, a little hill in the middle of a swamp of a marsh and there's a guy at the entrance of this island in a little wooden shack who has a baseball bat with nigh a bunch of nails sticking out of it and he threatens you on your first day of work he says if you drive over nine miles an hour these nails will go into your tire <laughs> and so uh but uh, yeah i had my, my very first industry job was at this salt mine in Avery Island. And um, when I found out that I was going to be um, working in the salt mine, they had, uh, I was told after this interview, hey, you're going to work in a salt mine. And so I, what did I do? I Googled salt mining. And the first video to pop up was that Texaco drill rig that had drilled into a salt mine in Louisiana. Do you know what salt mine that was? Uh, I don't remember the name of it right offhand, but they but swallowed said, everything. You said you met somebody. Now I was terrified. I said, "That's a." Th- I said, "I'm going to go work in a salt mine." You no fucking way am I going to do that after seeing that video because it was a fifty foot head, uh, fifty foot geyser coming out of the head frame, and the hole that they had drilled sucked in like three barges and left a dinghy tied to a tree like 40 feet in the sky. Oh, so, yeah. All the water went down. That's for sure. It's an unbelievable I, video. I talked to the guy that was at a, he was at a different mine there, and he had worked at that mine when that happened. And he said he's never climbed ladders so fast in his life because the water was coming up behind him, and they knew they couldn't float up. You know, so they had to climb out, and they made it. Wow. So, pretty scary story there but you know salt mines are they're different they they climbed up the ladder for that one out of one of the emergency escapes yeah the hoist wouldn't work could you imagine i I would assume that they would have been at a pretty low level like the 500 foot level most of those ore bodies they kind of they're like giant pimples from twenty thousand feet below and they come up and that's what creates those islands um but Climbing a 500 foot ladder would, is very tiring. <laughs> would be exhausting. Yeah. Um, but when you know that water's rushing in, I'm sure that that's enough motivation for you to hustle up. Probably a lot of people joined a gym after that. 
Uh, yeah, well, and it's 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 happened before. Uh, where my dad worked in northern Michigan at a mine, which is closed now, the Painsdale mine. They had a fire in the mine down deep, pretty deep in the mine, 3,000, 3,500 or whatever. But the guys, a lot of guys laddered out and and uh, to get away from the fire. This is, and uh, the farther you go up the ladder, you know, you, you got platforms every so often, you know, and uh, you'd find lunch boxes and then tools and then belts and just less about everything. And, less and less. To get the weight down, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, a lot of stories like that. I, there's another story. Is it Avery Island where you have to take the little barge across? And there's that Cor Blanc where you take the. That's the not. That's not Avery Island. I know that because that's okay, where that's, I work. That was Cor Blanc. Then you take a little ferry across. Mm-hmm. And this is a good story. You drive onto this ferry, you know, and they tell you to set your parking brake and. You drive across and you drive to the mine, you know, and real, they're real nice about it and all that. Well, anyway, they had an off, I don't know, off duty, uh, Imshaw guy was doing training on the side. He had a side business was there in the, in the, uh, side business. So he was doing training on the weekends. So he came and put his car on the ferry, you know, and went across and went to the mine, did his training. He came back and, didn't set the parking brake like the guy tells you to. And the barge pulls away and the car went in the drake. Oh, thank, no. <laughs> thank God it wasn't the government vehicle that went in, but the, the vehicle went in the drake. And it was his, and he was uh, off. Um, off duty Imshaw guy. So, wow. So all of us can make mistakes, including them. Absolutely, know. absolutely. I remember my very first experience <laughs> with Imshaw was at the Avery Island mine and um, I was an intern there. It was first job in the industry or in a mine, I'd say. And uh, I went down underground and the MSHA inspector was with, was with me going through the shaft. And this was a beautiful old steam shaft that they still operated there. And it was mainly just a transportation for some of the engineers. And um, it wasn't part of the main production shaft or what the main, the main personnel workforce would go down on in the morning. But um, I was always very nervous calling which level we would go to, whether it be the 500 level, the 700 level. And, you know, you'd ring a certain amount. And um, and like I said, it's my first job. So I'm a little anxious and intimidated. And I know what happens if you, when you work underground and you, you call the wrong level, or you, you, you call the, uh, the surface by accident. And so, you know, you ring five rings for the 500. It seems pretty straightforward, but if you give it just the wrong ring and you don't ring super clear, the, uh, hoist operator up on the surface makes you look like a real idiot, you know, and he cancels that he cancels your call and you have to call again. Well, I had called to the, um, 500 level for us to get off with the MSHA inspector and right what right when we got off on the level uh the hoist operator he he called for us to to get off and i went to undo the the door and the latches for the shaft and all of a sudden i get barked at by the inspector and i'm i'm just frozen right there i'm like all right here it is first job i'm already gonna get fired because i pissed off the MSHA inspector this is it and uh, all of a sudden our superintendent just starts barking back at the MSHA inspector 
that he had told me that we were getting off at the wrong level when we were in fact getting off at the right level. And he didn't know because he wasn't familiar with the mine as much. Right. And so it was just one of those experiences where, you know, welcome, welcome into the mining industry. You're going to, you're going to have a a nice experience getting yelled at immediately. Um, And right, right after that, we went and we were surveying the, the mine site and, uh, uh, a, a friend of mine, my boss at the time, he had took taken his hard hat off so that he could see through the total station. And right then, the MSHA inspector comes up again and tells him, why don't you have the hard hat on? And he's like, well, it's been on all day. I just had to take it off so I could look through the total station. And he's like, put it back on. So he went to look at look through the total station and the bill of his hat just you know, knocks into the total station. So they, there's an argument that ensues there, you know, and it's just uh, quite, quite one of those experiences that uh, you, you learn about real quick when you have to deal with who is an inspector versus who is your coworker or things like that. There's different attitudes with everybody in the mine site. Oh yeah. Some people want to help you and some people could care. It, it was really crazy. I, I don't think I'd ever really want to be an inspector, regardless if it's, if it's MSHA or not, simply because I, I uh, when that inspector left the office that day, there were really, really thin walls in, in, the, in the building that we had in the engineering office. And as soon as he had like closed the door and started walking down the stairs, I remember the superintendent saying, man, that guy like you know he just cursed him out right there and but they had just been talking about kids and family and the whole thing for like all day riding around the mine site and i just remember thinking i don't think i ever want to be an inspector where someone might have to drive around with me all day and act like they care about me i hope that's not the case (laughs) (laughs) that's good now did, did you ever did you ever get down to any of those salt mines in louisiana yeah, I worked in, uh, I didn't work in Morton, but at Corblanc and uh, at, uh, what was the one you were at? Uh, for, it was Cargill at the time. Cargill, Avery yeah. Island. Bo- both, I was Cargill at Avery Island and in uh, Corblanc. So, and, they're really hot. I was amazed, you know, hot and then actually pretty dry. You it's know. unbelievably dry. I mean, to be in a salt mine and you when you sweat you itch because of how dry it is in the air yeah well the best part was that they had uh those frozen things like kids have those squeezy deals you know mm-hmm. they had a big freezer of them down there in core block so we got to have those it was that and when i came up at uh i think it was a core wonkery rattle we had to come up to secondary and uh, it was 97 degrees, and it was just pouring water down the shaft, and it felt so good to stand <laughs> in that water after being down there all day, you know. So, so. I, I, I think uh, Avery Island had a different bedding system, so we weren't as hot as some of, as some of the other um, sites. But I, I, it was a very weird experience because I, I've never been in underground coal, but in under I was told in underground coal a lot of times – the walls are all white they are because white. of the limestone that they cake the walls with for for safety so that the, to keep the nice. dust down but when you go to underground salt everything's black from you know 
60, 50 years of diesel particulate matter caking the walls until you get to the face. And then you're sitting there in this very weird dystopian winter wonderland that is, you know, you, it feels like you're walking on snow. It's as slippery as ice itself. You could slip and bust your ass just stepping out of your pickup truck. And yet it's really, really hot and you could still do a snow angel, but it's a salt angel, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so a different world. Salt's a different world, you know, as far it as it is. And so you did, you did some, uh, you were salt blasting at the time. Is that what you went there for? Yeah. They had some problems when we were there. You we were there. I was there to help them with it. It's quite an interesting, um, interesting application of blasting salt it's it's not like blasting any other kind of rock right i mean no it's elastic and and they uh well and they do undercutting there you don't see that much anymore you know the undercut with those big saws and it's a different deal the horizontal saws right i mean they're like what yeah. 15 18 feet long chainsaws yeah. essentially basically that cuts a cuts a curve underneath the uh, you know right across the floor and that so, provides that free face, right? Yeah. Now I know so, some companies they would they had a, a really large drill, and they would they would do a burn round essentially instead of the in, that's in the that's in the northern ones like at uh, um, Car Cargill in Cleveland, mm, okay. Cargill in New York, a couple of them up there. They use what they call a smag drill. That's and right. It has three. Three drills that drill 11 inch holes and they drill three and three. So they have six 11 inch holes and they're burned. <laughs> and then wow. they just, they just break to those holes. So, yeah. And what do you, is there a reason between picking those instead of the undercutters? Um, from what I understand that they own the smeg drill company. So that's how they got into it. But the, they they did it came from Europe and they that's were doing right. it in Europe. They got away from undercutting a long time ago. There was I think they were they, I was told that those big chainsaws were some German company. Um, well it could be originally and that's where the smeg drills are made now. Ah, so. okay. Is it did you I my very first blast underground outside of the experimental mine at University of Rollo where I went to school. Um we shot a scale down in uh in the um there was about 175 foot backs uh roofs in the benched area of avery island and yeah. there was a scale that was quite large and they needed to blast it and during the normal operations uh there would be a shift change during the blasting process um, but because it was a scale, we actually got to be there for, for the blasting. And it was what an unbelievable sound um, to be able to pull a trigger and hear the boom and the reverb itself and to feel the differential, the pressure, but then to hear it fall and hit the ground as well. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a great experience. So. Yeah. I think that was the moment where I said, I like mining, but I, I got to stick to the blasting. I think at yeah. that point I was, it's like, ah, I don't really want to be a mining engineer as much as I want to be a blasting engineer. Yeah. Well, it's always, you like to hear the bang and then there's, there's good and there's bad to that. I can remember when I was young and dumb, 
<clears throat> and back when I was at White Pine, we did room and pillar mining, and uh, we'd go down two, three pillars from where the face was at and sit against the wall and, you know, with our back to the wall, back to the blast, basically. <clears throat> Push the button so we could watch the rock fly by. <laughs> N- never thinking that it might ricochet, you know, hit the pillar, bounce back and get us, you know, so. Right, wow. And, uh, and it, and that all, you know, it's all young and dumb. You do some of that stuff. But even older people, you know, it's very important to keep the mapping up and stuff like that. When I worked at White Pine, we uh, we retreat blasted out of the mine because the mine was very big, you know. You know, five, six, seven miles to the face sometimes, you know, in these different work areas. You just read the farthest one shoots, and then you shoot, and then you shoot, and you're all lined up in these Jeeps. And uh, they're coming out of the mine one day. And uh, they pull up, and there's like eight eight of us in these Jeeps, eight Jeeps lined up behind the, or man cars, whatever you want to call them, lined up. And uh, they pushed the button, and it was a breakthrough round, and it blew the first Jeep away. Killed, killed both guys. Nobody had realized it was a breakthrough round. The maps weren't up to date. That's one of the things about engineering. You've always got to be up to date on your, on your, your maps. But, wow. I mean, That's just that, just that quick. And, and, you know, there was no, not even a, unaware of this being a risk. We're just going to sit here. There's a blast on the other side and we're going to. Yeah. Nobody even thought about it. And so. this is what, what year was this? Back in the seventies. I'm trying to say safety wasn't as big a thing, you know, that's why Imshaw came around, you know? <laughs> And, and that's another reason why we're, we've got this podcast is to share these kinds of stories of what did it used to be like and what are what are some incidences and the learning lessons there is, you know, now a lot of times most minds are at, I would say, you could probably correct me if I'm wrong, you're not even, most people aren't even allowed to be underground during the blasting except for the blasting Just, crew. Yeah, well, that's all we had was a blasting crew too at that time, you know, everybody else was out. But uh, it was still not good, you know. Still not, yeah. And so they were, they were, um, because the mind maps weren't up to date. That wasn't one of the concerns. That wasn't even thought about at that time. Yeah, they were, they were behind. You know, like everything, it's hard to keep everything up. But you need awareness, especially blasters do, and drillers. You know, that am I going to break through? You know. And a lot of times, you know, you might be within a foot and not know it by not getting off the drill, getting out, walk around the pillar, look at the other side, or maybe get a tape out and go, oh, this is going to be close, you know, mm-hmm. something you've got to be definitely be aware of. So, wow. but safety has it's come a long way, though, you know, but back then, you know, I can remember when I was a blaster and uh, we would... There wasn't a lot to do in the morning. We'd go kind of hide in the mine, you know, with our with our rig because there's nothing drilled out usually on our shift. And then we, we could load four four rounds in before the end of the day, starting at noon. But uh, on some days when we were in a, in a real hurry, we had a platform built that fit between the booms on the jumbo. So when he was coming down the face, we were up on the platform loading holes behind him. Wow. So you were, okay. So you have, you have your, the, you're loading two different, you got two different arms of the jumbo drilling and while Mm -hmm. it's drilling, 
you and your partner are on a platform in between them, loading the holes that would already been drilled with AMFO. Yeah, AMFO and uh, primers, which were dynamite primers in those days. Elect electric or not? Yeah, electric. Electric. So every now and then, you know, it was funny because you would, the wire would go down and get caught on the drill steel. And start raffing up real fast. Oh, we put a hand up, and the guy turned the drill off. You know, so and then you know, it was just something that we did because we wanted to get more rounds faster. You know, right? Got no concern got about safety. And then, yeah, it was back to bonus. In fact, so one of my first jobs after I got out of ten T training at uh, at White Pine, it was I was a misfire driller, and that was before I knew nothing about explosives, and I didn't know what a misfire driller was, but. It paid two job classes more. So, man, I'm right in there. And me, and, said, me and the foreman would go, and he would say, there's a misfire here, and I'll turn it on real slow, and we would actually try and wash the hole out with the drill. And then, you know, every now and then I'd hit the hammer. You know, no, no, no. You know, so no. Off, you know, and slowly, you know, wash till we could get the primers out, and that's how we cleaned our misfires out. And then, yeah, so I was at a – uh, uh, underground mine recently and I heard a, a unique story where we were talking about clearing misfires and um, you know MSHA has a rule that says only jobs necessary to you know remedy the misfire can be done and so this operator was in there and they were scaling uh, around the, they were scaling the back so that they could get in there and uh, one of the the inspectors not going to sound like I'm bashing MSHA in this episode. I, I really don't mean to, even though I've um, said a few you know bad stories here. But um, the the inspector went to write them a fine, and they argued saying the scaling was necessary in order to make sure it was safe to then go. At, access that misfire and handle that misfire and wash out that misfire but when that when the inspector showed up they just thought they were scaling like a normal round would be as if it was part of their normal operation you know so they had to fight that to show them that that is part of the um, 30 cfr was to get in there and mitigate what they could so that they could take care of the misfire right yeah and misfires are a big deal you know and they're bigger than underground, I think, than they are on the surface because you can see it on the surface. And underground, you can't always see it. And underground miners are very terribly, they're proud of their work. And they're not going to tell you if they've got one. They're going to try and get rid of it. And, and at one mine, this is just five years ago, the standard procedure was to drill them out. I mean, with a hammer running. And uh, I'm not going to say what mine, because you worked there too. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a standard procedure. And then uh, one day it went off and uh, did not kill the operator, uh, scared him. And they had to come up with a, a procedure after that, you know. So it was still a standard procedure. Here we are in 2000s or 19s, you know, 1900s, you know, 1990s or 2000s. I guess it would be in the 2000s. And so people were still late 2000s. Yeah, people were still drilling out vast misfires. Now, did the person know it was a misfire, or did they think it was oh, a bootleg? Yeah. They, yeah, knew, no, they no. knew for sure. Wow. No, a lot of times people think it's just a bootleg, which you don't know what's down there, you know, unless you wash it out. Um, right, and they just go to collar the new hole. Hey, look, there's a bootleg. I might as well collar in that hole Yeah, and without checking. 
Yeah. Goodness. Yeah, that's a nightmare. I, I yeah, have I, heard. Go ahead. I, I, I've heard of many situations where, you know, underground, you have a lot less light. You know, you're mucking in there. It's a, a different crew even, um, which is similar to having a different crew on, on the surface, but without all that extra visible light. And people didn't used to dye their product. You know, it used to just no. be the same color in a limestone. It would be the same color, you know, it was before people started to dye their their diesel and things like that. So it wasn't as visible or even talked about. People would, like you said, people would never, even today, a lot of people don't admit their misfires or their mistakes, you know, um, yeah. which is, I think nowadays people will admit their misfires, but they'll mitigate it really quickly and, you know, discuss it after the fact and instead, which is, which is okay. But as long as they're doing it safely, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's the big thing is you cannot, you, you got, that's why you got to retrain all the time is people want to take shortcuts and you, you know, every one of them rules in that Imshaw book is there for a reason because somebody got killed. That's a very good point, you know, and, and uh, if we didn't have anybody get killed in the mine, there would be no Imshaw book, you know? Yeah, as much as, you know, people like myself would like to, you know, share a story or a complaint about an inspector, you know, they're there for our own safety because it's needed. Yeah. It's absolutely needed. That's a good way to end this episode. Um, thank you again for coming on and sharing some stories and chit-chatting with us. Always glad to. Always glad to. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Blast Report podcast. I want to thank the team at Blast Think for producing this show, and please follow along for more episodes in the future and share this podcast with your colleagues so we can continue to honor our industry and the people in it. Be safe and have a blast.